0: Hey guys, it's Joe from Court Hope you're all staying safe out there. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Something went wrong with our recording and my audio was not picked up. So I had to do a voiceover for this one. If things are a little bit weird, we apologize. But everything else should be fine. And with that out of the way, Muse, take it away.
1: Hi Everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Court of Owlets podcast, where we love our gratuitous violence, unnecessary sex, and
0: of course...
1: I'm Muse, and I'm joined by Joe.
0: Hello.
1: And V. Hi. In this episode, we'll be comparing the two latest versions of DC's Harley Quinn, one being Margot Robbie's portrayal of the character in both the Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey movies, and the other being voiced by Kaylee Cuco in DC Universe's animated series. That out of the way, let's get started. I know we just reviewed Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey, but I want to hear everyone's initial impressions going into the DC's Harley Quinn series, so we can kind of touch on that a little bit before we start getting into the comparisons.
0: So I watched a trailer... For the Harley Quinn show when they released it back at San Diego Comic-Con a couple years back. And I wasn't sold on it right away, mainly also because DC Universe, the streaming platform wasn't official yet. They were just announcing all this stuff that would be going onto the platform. But I knew that Young Justice was going to be on there. I knew Titans was going to be on there, even though I was very skeptical about Titans after seeing their trailer as well. But also because I am DC trash, I will watch just about anything at least once that they put it. Out. <laughs> but yeah initially i was very skeptical about the show and i gave it a shot anyway and i am so glad that i did because it instantly became one of my favorite things that dc has provided in terms of new content on the dc universe streaming app like they're not afraid to be funny they are not afraid to parody beloved characters and i feel that they do it in the best extreme by playing them up as the most ridiculous thing that they can think of. I will say though, one of my major constraints about the show is that it tries a little too hard to prove that it is an adult cartoon. I feel like there is a very unnecessary amount of blood that is shown in the most ridiculous ways when somebody gets shot or hit or grabbed or whatever. And it is a little bit of an excessive amount of cursing in the show. But other than that, I feel that it is an amazing show.
2: I mean, I agree with that. When I first saw it, I had similar reaction where I was just like, this is gonna be trashy, it's gonna be lame, they're not gonna understand the characters because I can already see Ivy's design was like the most boring design I've ever seen her drawn in. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This looks like one of those ones where they're gonna be talking heads, there's not gonna be much motion, they're gonna be standing there. And like, even the animation in the promo was kind of jerky, it didn't look like smooth and beautiful. I was like, okay, this is just going to be another one of those things where they try to make money and they don't put a lot of thought into it. They don't really care about the characters, but I was wrong on that. They do understand their audience. They're going for an adult crowd. They're going for people who have knowledge of DC characters, at least a cursory knowledge, but with deeper characters, they they have a lot of cameos. They have a lot of shout outs. They have a lot of tongue in cheek jokes and the fact that they take established characters and then with no reverence for them at all. They will push them to the most extreme caricature of themselves. So you get more of the Adam West, Batman, Brave and the Bold fans, maybe even some Justice League action fans to kind of jump on that boat. And it has kind of like an Archer quality to it. So it's kind of like if Archer was a DC show. So you get a lot of that, but it does, as Joe said, try a little too hard. So some of the things that pull me right out of it is The way that people splatter like there's one scene where they're pushing people gently with a table into a wall and they pop like mosquitoes when they're squished against a wall. Like they just all made out of like bags of blood and they just squirt everywhere, no matter what you do. And so it's that kind of gratuitous violence where people explode because you put chemicals on them and you see like every bit of brain matter. Like it's played for laughs and you're like, I didn't think that was funny (laughs) but clearly the writers think it's hysterical and it's like that kind of stuff where i mean there are negatives to it but i would say that it definitely is self-aware enough that it can play to an adult audience and it paces the jokes so quickly one right after another and the characters are so consistently and inherently hilarious
0: oh my god (laughs) i mean the characters are probably my favorite part in the entire show because again as you know i am a big fan of referential humor and I am a fan of parodies when they are done well, and this show definitely does it well. Especially because they put some of these characters in a light that you have either rarely seen them in or never seen them in. And it works so beautifully for the atmosphere of the show.
2: I mean, I want to get into Clayface a little bit later and how he was like child nightmare fuel for me. <laughs> <laughs> and how I have never seen him portrayed like this before. <laughs> But overall, I would have to say there's some episodes I would not say that I like, but I am addicted to this series and I've watched every episode. I'm probably going to keep watching it till it ends.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you and me both.
1: <laughs> I definitely agree with a lot of those sentiments. I remember seeing the initial trailer and already not being happy with a lot of what DC Universe and what DC has been putting out recently with their movies and with Titans. <sighs> The only saving grace really, as Joe mentioned, was Young Justice. That was kind of the only thing. But at the same time, I also had massive issues with Young Justice, which I would love to do a podcast on that at some point. But I was like, okay, I didn't mind the comedy and the banter between Harley and Ivy. I liked how, of course, Harley was the crazy one and Ivy was kind of the straight man. I've seen this in the comics, but I wasn't a big fan of how they kind of showed Harley with Haley Cuoco at the beginning, but she definitely grew on me. They do take some of the liberties of, oh, we're not on daytime television, we're on our own streaming service, so we can do whatever we gosh darn well please and make it as violent cursing and references to sex and stuff as we can because we're adults and adults like that stuff like there's a line of too much and they crossed it a couple of times but you already knew that these are the bad guys they're gonna do some violent things and it's harley quinn and the joker they're exploding people but like v said the blood was a little too much there were times where like harley would hit someone in the knee and whacking someone in the head and their head exploding
0: and also that blood splatter on like the fourth wall that you see in some movies where the blood splatters onto the screen, but you can still see what's going on in the background.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of sex <laughs> and raunchy like adult humor, I just want to say, whose idea was it to put an old man saggy butt on the plant? Why does the talking plant have an old timey saggy butt?
1: Okay, I wasn't the only one who noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: so weird. <laughs>
1: It was, like, the later half when he was actually, like, moving around.
2: Well, they were, like, trying to position him right in the camera so that a third of the screen is his butt. And you're just like, well, someone was really proud of this.
1: So let's start kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of all of this. Easy start out with some of the comparisons between the two Harleys is the outfit.
2: (laughs) Honestly, I think they could have gone more interesting with the outfits on the cartoon. Like, I get that animation, you want it to be simple so it's easier to draw. And like I said, Ivy's design was so boring. Her stupid leggings and heels, what is that? That's so ugly. It's...
0: Everybody's called her out on her outfit designs. Kite Man, the Riddler.
2: Everyone's called her out on it. She's not changing. And it's like, even if you acknowledge it, it doesn't change the fact that someone drew that, presented it, and someone else said... Yeah, I'm cool with seeing her in that the entire series. Sorry, I just have a lot of feelings about Ivy's clothes. But no, I think a lot of the designs in general in that series are very boring. They're very bland. They go for the most boring option.
0: It was going for like a simplistic art style. Mm
2: -hmm. But they didn't like give me a migraine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Well, like in the Harley Quinn movie, she looked so awful. Everything she was in, I was like, she smells like cigarettes. Like, she just looks filthy and grimy and, like, she hasn't showered in weeks. She just looks gross. I mean, that is what they were going for. I'm not gonna diss on that. But, like, her fashion sense, too, it's, it's so ugly. It looks like she freshly murdered several clowns and sewed their corpses into her clothing. And then, like, the Harley Quinn from this one, at least she has, like, a classic look.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has the red and black Harley Quinn outfit that Parkins back to her original one but definitely shows her in a different light because this is, once again, this is her trying to get away from Joker. And I think it's a little closer to the comic version of Harley, her
2: outfit. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, they were keeping it up to date with the current comic adaptation of Harley's outfit.
2: Well, they try to stick pretty close to Amanda Connor's version of Harley Quinn. They're following the comic books. They're consulting with a lot of the comic writers and artists. So there's definitely a lot more... um...
0: Collaboration?
2: Yeah, I feel like it shows through not only in the writing but the design that there is more attention to keeping things recognizable because I don't feel like they're trying to be edgy in the design. Stylistically, like I think that is that was a priority for Harley Quinn because when you hear the people talking about it, they're constantly talking about the look, how did it look? How was the design? How was this appearing you know it was always about visuals whereas this one it really isn't about the visuals which you'd be surprised since it's an art form you know like they decided with the 2d one we're not gonna go for shocking visuals we're going to go for conservative and then when we actually need a giant highway turned into a (laughs) roller coaster We're gonna do that with the budget, you know?
0: It wasn't really about the character designs because a lot of cartoons, they do try to keep it pretty comic accurate in terms of their looks. It was more so focused on the design of the environment that Harley and her crew were in in the show.
2: Yeah, definitely. And the shots. The shots are really good too. Like the storyboarding in this is great. Like you get to see them like all these sweeping shots from high up. They definitely spend it on more of that.
0: And also when it came to the background, like all the little references to other things like Owlman's mask and Azrael's armor.
2: Egghead was there. <laughs> they had an egghead you. thing. It was just his whole face and it's and it, oh. it holding an egg in one of the traps. Oh goodness. I, I saw Livewire and that's what made me happy. I really thought we were gonna get to see Firefly for a second
0: but in terms of costumes for like the birds of prey movie last year i went to new york city comic con and they had the birds of prey booth on display i believe it was for the first time that they were releasing these outfits and you see the caution tape jacket from harley you see this glittered jumpsuit from canary all those outfits for each of the main characters of the movie except for black mask and the whole display in terms of audience level was empty and i went there midday. it was like two three o'clock in the afternoon and nobody is looking at these except for maybe a few people and a few people that were were taking pictures and laughing at it and recording videos asking like what the hell is this what type of garbage is this that i'm looking at right now And was also really weird, they were advertising DC Universe right next to it. And if you pre-ordered the membership, you can go up to their little kiosk, show them that you are a member, and they gave you an enamel pin for the Harley Quinn animated series. Each day of the convention was a different pin. I got there with the King Shark pin which was pretty cool but still nobody was paying attention to the harley quinn costumes only to complain about how ridiculous they are everybody skipped it right over went to the booth got their pin and left or went right next to the booth for the jim lee and dan didio signing that was taking place right there as well but i want to say that is the first time that a dc comics booth was as empty as it was
2: it really good. I feel like they like the costumes in the movie took away. Like I said, I'm not going to praise the cartoon that highly because they didn't like add that much to them, but it doesn't take away from the characters. And I feel like these many costume changes, a lot of them unnecessary in Birds of Prey were to make it more discordant and more difficult to look at because the colors weren't harmonious. Some of them did look like a Lisa Frank nightmare, not even cute like Lisa Frank colors it was just like no throwing a bunch of colors together and hoping for the best because glitter you know
1: yeah and also on the costuming as well like I think being you said she just looked like a dirty and disgusting and she needed to wash her face and her makeup was always looked runny in the movie and yeah you could also say that in the cartoon her makeup her hair was perfect because that's how you draw it she, I think she looked healthier and happier in the cartoon. Maybe that's what they were trying to go for, is that she's away from it all. But I don't know. Uh, Ivy did make mention of her terrible dip dye using the cheap dye. So
0: I mean, it also just goes back to that idealistic decision of, oh, Harley's wacky and unpredictable. She's going to have wacky and crazy outfits to match the personality.
2: Mm. How do you even find outfits that look that bad? But, like, the thing is, even if you are trying to say, you know, this character's nuts. Look at them. They look like they were dressed by a homeless man. You're looking at it and you're like, well, I have to watch this for two hours. My eyes are on the line here. (laughs) Like, I have to be able to, like, focus on what's happening. And I can't when she looks like she is wearing the fur of a dead Muppet. I don't know what some of this was, but a lot of it was just so bizarre. It looked like nothing I've ever seen before.
0: It just comes down to having that surface level knowledge of the character. You know Harley Quinn is crazy and she modeled herself after the Joker, who is unpredictable and wacky, so they are just going to go with these wacky designs and outfits that nobody would ever wear except for a crazy person.
1: Speaking of crazy and wacky and weird things, let's start getting into the comedy aspect of both of them. I'm just going to say this outright, I laugh my ass off pretty much every episode, even if like there were some episodes that made me tilt my head, there were still moments that were just hilarious and weird and V mentioned that comedy was always struck very quick but it still lets you kind of sit with it and it never really detracted too much I'm flashing back to the first episode you guys showed me which was the Robin one and I'm dying (laughs) the entire time because of how caricatured Robin is how caricatured Superman is and small just easy things that just flowed and it was perfection It's probably one of the best episodes
0: It goes back to what I was saying before about the parodies of the characters being played up in the best way, because they do more or less act like they normally would in the comic books, but they are having this ridiculous parody that makes it hilarious. Like, Bane, you have the huge, muscular, but they gave him the Tom Hardy voice from the Nolan trilogy. (laughs) And then even the other big parody, which is one of my favorites, was Robin. Like, you have Damien, the little assassin, sounding as if he was eight years old, nine years old. But you get it because he is one of the youngest ones. He's the current Robin, but they added that child's flair to him.
2: (laughs) I was trained by an elite league of assassins. Oh my gosh, I love that. No, but they do bend some of the characters, but they always bend it towards chemistry. The way they bent Ivy, before I've seen her, you know, everyone knows Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy is a stone cold bitch. She's an awful person and she's only nice to Harley Quinn. And she's just like plants before people always. And they softened her up a whole bunch. They made her a lot more relatable and it works. Like, I normally would be like, why? But you can see why. Because they needed her to be not the crazy one. If you have everyone be the crazy one, listen to this birds of prey. If everybody's crazy, no one is, and your world is just nuts. You can't find a center to stand on. Like, a clear patch of ground that you can, like, survey the world from. It feels like you're always on a merry-go-round when you are in a world where all the characters are nuts. So this way we have Ivy. She's that person where we can see everything because she will comment on what the audience is thinking. She's sort of the everyman, almost as like its own comedy element because she is also the most powerful person in the entire show. And she never uses her powers when she doesn't have to. And she has super low self-esteem, which is weird. She's just off on her own and she's sort of still that wallflower Ivy. This is like an alternate universe where she never got, like, those crazy amounts of confidence from becoming a plant goddess. Instead, she's still kind of like, no, no, I just want to stay home with a book. You guys run along. I don't want to be, okay, fine, I'm coming because you're going to kill yourself. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: she's, she's mom.
2: It's very cute. I like that change. And, like, with Clayface, who's a nightmare, he is a hammy thespian. Yep. They went with the Karloff version.
1: I love that version. I think he's the current Clayface too, which is another reason, talking back to their collaboration with DC, he's more recognizable to current fans. So I think the big strong point about a lot of the comedy with Harley Quinn CD series is the character interactions. A lot of those funny scenes with each of them kind of bouncing off of each other, making the situation more ridiculous the one-liners were perfect. Birds of Prey was just like, we're just gonna have them be funny and start laughing in a diner. And you're like, you never set up the character dynamics. And I think that was one of the nice things about Harley Quinn is it starts out with Harley and Ivy. And then you get ridiculous characters they're friends like you know they're friends and they're her crew but they're not just her crew they're her weird wacky family, and everything they've been through so much and their banter works better and i think that's also on like the writing staff
2: well see because this is what we were talking about before when we were saying like the characters in harley quinn the and birds of prey they just seemed lost like they didn't seem to know what their characters were these guys all seem to be very grounded in their characters because the comedy just kind of naturally flows from who these guys are and their delivery of these characters are consistent. We have Clayface, he is always consistently hammy no matter what character he's playing. He's always gonna be upbeat. He's never too violent. Everyone in this show murders constantly. Yeah. Yeah, he loves disguises. He loves the story. He empathizes too hard with everyone around him to be the violent one, which is just insane, not Clayface.
0: Yeah, Clayface is usually right up there with Ivy as one of the strongest people in that crew, but he cares more about the disguising than he does using his ability to actually fight.
2: But it works here. <laughs> it works really well. And the way they decided to portray him, very specific, very distinctive and because mm-hmm. I think because of the writer because of the di- or writers director and actor seem to all be on the same page with this character and how he's portrayed it always is consistent you kind of know what he's going to do but it's often surprising but you're never like that's out of character it's always that same character and the same yeah. way with psycho he's going to be a chauvinist he's going to yeah. ruin everything and make it more interesting
1: He's gonna be very short tempered, but at the same time, believes he's the smartest man in the room because he's most likely the sm- one of the smartest men in the room, especially with that crowd.
2: <laughs> they really changed it. They like, love tur- they, like, took some of these really strong A lists and, like, brought them down. Some of the other ones were, like, smaller villains, like King Shark.
0: King Shark, especially in terms of parodying a character. I mean, you have this very violent, aggressive shark man, and the show turns him into this. Gentle computer nerd that at first hates the sight of blood because of how he reacts so violently towards it But again, it just comes down to the great writing of the show in order to implement these parodies and make it work in a comedic way. I know for a fact that if you told me how these characters were going to be portrayed, I would have never even watched the show. I would have hated every single second of it, but getting to watch what they do with it and how the characters work together and implementing these different parodies at the same time, it makes the show very fluid throughout and makes it much more enjoyable to watch. (laughs) And I love it.
2: He is super violent though, and he gets more violent in the second season. Uh, Yeah i think they just thought it would be funnier like that season two is much more violent to like a point where it's sort of annoying it's starting to get to that point where instead of like a joke they like do something violent and then there's that pause for applause and you're just like no no applause for you put your hand down you know I think that a lot of the character change, like not only the character changes, but like the character consistencies that are allowed, everyone seems to be on the same page. And that is creating a lot of the comedy. It's creating a lot of the consistency and it just irons out so much of the work in terms of story. A lot of the stories naturally evolve from the characters personalities clinking into each other. And they have chemistry, not just with their crew, like Joe said, but like with everyone. There's like this great chemistry with the heroes, like Jim and his friendship with Clayface's hand. Like they have (laughs) have great chemistry, even the the Legion of Doom, like the way that all of them joke off of each other constantly. Every character, even if they've just met them, they have like these great like quick quips for each other. Mm -hmm. It really plays... Well, like, you know, anyone who's seen Archer knows that, that kind of style.
0: Plus, when compared to a movie where, for the most part, a lot of these characters are meeting for the first time, at least in the television show, there is a history between Lex Luthor and Harley Quinn and the Joker and whatever that, again, like what Muse said, we already have a general understanding of these characters and their relationships. So they're able to play off of these past events that they've been included in with several fights or schemes or what have you. I don't
1: think I remember too much of 60s batman but they definitely reference nolan with as we mentioned with bane they're mentioning things in comics they're bringing up inside jokes that they would get we as the audience get that because we already have a background knowledge of dc comics or just anything to do with batman because we watched the animated series in the 90s i think that's definitely one of its other strong suits it's it's referential humor it's got none of that in harley quinn of uh, the birds of prey there's barely any references
2: to anything, uh, Joe. You were saying the other day how that one Riddler you joke where she turns on the. <laughs> they have the the bat Siri, and she turns on the rave music so that they can talk. And without taking any time away from the plot, it does that back and forth cutaways while they're talking, and it goes from Barbara talking to them to them like like just first Harley like starts dancing while she's talking very seriously. And then it goes back to Babs and then and Ivy started dancing and they're like really getting into it while they're talking and it doesn't take away any time. There's no wasted space. It's this joke that just gets incrementally more funny as we watch it. And so it has a lot of those sorts of things where it like will double tap, you know, it's, it's trying to those multipurpose scenes where you have the comedy and you have to give out all the plot information. So, how do we do it in a way that doesn't slow down the plot, doesn't slow down the comedy? We smash them together, we do some fun stuff, and it really does feel like one of those rooms where people are like shouting out fun ideas and like layering them on top of each other and like how can we fit them in? And I will say that that is something that I think Birds of Prey could have done more of is trying to not space out this is humor time and this is plot time, but kind of like they could have handled more in that time that they had. They could have done more stuff. They could have had more comedy in between the other things that were happening, but it seemed, it was very much like, okay, this is our joke. Now this is the serious stuff. And then they would like explain things while the character is sitting down and doing nothing. Mm
0: -hmm. And V, like what you were saying last week in terms of Birds of Prey, building up to the jokes, they spent a lot of the time doing more of a telling not showing the joke you know the punchline is coming it's very obvious where it's about to happen but they spent a lot of time being like oh get ready here it comes and you're like yeah okay and you're like no nope, here it is here it is and then the punchline happens and then you have that pause for laughter and the jokes that they did spend too much time on they really shouldn't have like the breakfast sandwich in the beginning all the way to the end <laughs>
1: yeah and also i think v touched on something as well that i didn't really think about until now is when you're talking about the separation between the comedy bits and the plot bits i think they try to separate it because they're like oh the comedy bits are supposed to be funny and you're supposed to laugh at it but this major plot thing this is serious so they try to take themselves way too seriously with the plot when they really should have just went balls to the walls crazy everything i'm sorry to compare it to deadpool but deadpool really did a good job of like here's funny bits but here's plot and we're not taking ourselves too seriously but at the same time you feel for the characters because of how the plot and the narration is driving itself and you didn't ever care for these characters
2: yeah they did not have a lot of voiceovers in the cartoon did they did it need it do you think we were missing some voiceovers to explain to us the super tricky plot no
0: Where compared to the TV show, I don't believe you had a lot of, if not any, voiceover at all in terms of describing the plot to the audience. They spent a lot of the time for the characters to explain what's going on, (laughs) you know, like an actual story. Well,
2: and there were a lot of B plots. So you have like the main plot and a lot of it's going to be Harley doing something out of her driving insecurity. Yeah, it may turn out well, it may not, But then there's going to be a bunch of B plots because you have an ensemble cast. And when you have an ensemble cast, those people need some attention. So even though Harley's driving the show, much like the movie, you have a bunch of other characters that need your attention. They all have things they want. They all have different personalities that are going to drive them into different decisions, which may clash or coincide with what the character wants. You know, if you spend more time on them, sometimes it'll lead back into the main plot and help it. Instead of just, like, dropping them as soon as you have an idea for the main character and letting them dangle.
0: And it even gives opportunity for plots that nobody would think possible. Like, the slowly forming relationship in the background between Kite Man and Poison Ivy.
1: (laughs) Which was great! (laughs) Who
0: could have seen that coming? (laughs) it's very endearing like I had a feeling that that's where it was going to lead just because of the amount of time that they did spend together in the beginning and he is clearly grossing her out so much that it would be the comedic thing but I had no idea that they would actually go for it because of how poison ivy is I thought
2: he was gonna die off I was like there's no way They get together. Yeah,
1: he was the awkward, plucky sidekick kind of character that comes in at the very end as a deus ex machina, but they didn't super deus ex machina him. It was just like this lead-in, and it was very cute.
0: The animated series clearly had a much better track mind in terms of pushing these things that weren't very in your face compared to the movie where they focus more on the jokes and they tried to focus a lot more on the fight scenes.
2: The action scenes were the like the big thing in the movie. Like that was what they were touting. And so everyone's like, go watch this movie because you gotta see this amazing action. How did that compare to the cartoon?
0: <laughs> well with the series you have a lot more freedom because it's all animated. You're positioning the characters however you want them to be seen. You don't have to worry about the camera catching fake punches and fake kicks and whatnot. Since like, again, as we said last week, the fights in the Birds of Prey movie, were so heavily choreographed, it's very noticeable when punches aren't landing, when somebody's raising their head before the hit even comes.
1: Mm-hmm. With a cartoon, you don't see that. It's all storyboarded, and it, that was kind of one of its definite strong suits. I felt the choreography in general was so much stronger in the cartoon. I loved how flippy Harley was. Like, mm-hmm. she was doing a bunch of blips because she has a background in gymnastics, but she's taking a hit. She takes hits, she gets bloody, she gets shot, she's getting punched. There's one scene, like, was handling herself pretty well against a bunch of goons, but obviously one tiny girl is not able to take down at least a dozen goons at the same time.
2: And also think about the emotional impact behind that scene was so important because it was, like, what was happening in the background. And this is, like, my thing about fight scenes. I never used to like fight scenes until I understood what they were for. They are a way to physically demonstrate the emotional push and pull of the scene. Now we see, at that point, she's just broken up with the Joker. The Joker isn't keeping her there because he loves her. He wants to destroy her because he's kind of like that Mulaney skit where he just can't have someone who knows what he looks like naked out there in the world, free, you know? (laughs) He's just like, she has to die. So he is trying to kill her to make an example of her. And she is realizing that she is outmatched. She's sort of coming to the realization. Whereas like in the movie, like Harley, that Harley Quinn seems to come to it really late that she's outmatched by the world. (laughs) But this one comes to it really early. She's like, oh no. And you feel it because you see it visually that she is outnumbered. You feel it when she gets hit. They really set it up with the shots too. The camera moves the impact of it she gets out of there by the skin of her teeth and she does not leave unscarred so when she's out from under the joker's thumb it's it's one of those sorts of things where you're like oh she's never going back of course she does but that and subsequent scenes the fights they can either be like her flipping around thinking this is all fun and games or they can be like that where they're grizzly and you're supposed to feel them and they run the full range in this show And I was thinking about one that I watched in the second season where the whole group's fighting together. And you see Clayface shoot Clay at someone and suffocate them.
0: Yeah, that's when they all went to the Iceberg Lounge to rescue Harley because Penguin and Mr. Freeze and the others froze her.
2: Uh, There's that. You see Teen Shark biting people's heads off. You see Dr. Psycho using his powers. You see how Ivy uses her powers when she fights. None of them are the generic kick-punch kick-punch that we see in the Harley Quinn movie. What we see in the TV show is everyone fight with the energy or lethargy of their emotional state exactly in the amount they need to be seen on camera to show who's the most important person in the scene. They make sure everybody gets a chance though. They show you everybody and they definitely show how they fight Mm -hmm. differently from each other.
0: That was also one of the major differences between the show and the movie because the show has such a diverse cast of all these different people who have these different abilities Of course, their fighting style is going to be different from one another compared to Birds of Prey, where Huntress is a trained assassin. Canary has a mom with the same origin from the comics, so maybe she learned how to fight that way. But overall, including Renee and Harley, they all fight the same way. It's all very generic, like what you were saying, V.
2: Yeah, I mean, even yeah. if they were all using their fists, you could have them fighting in different styles. Well, I mean, like, you can have the Huntress, and I think it would be really fun to see her, like, rapid, like, firing, ducking, dodging as she recocks her crossbow, because those things are a pain to do. I don't know why anybody would fight with them. She could be doing that, or she could be doing more long range stuff. She could Actually, be writing her her motorcycle that she's famous for but yeah like she would have a different style of fighting versus someone like canary who's just a lounge singer but for some reason fights with the exact same style
1: yeah she fought no different than the rest of them even montoya i would love to see montoya very much reliant mostly on her gun using cover stalking forward like a police officer would backhanding someone who got nearby like not as fluid with her motions, but being very more precise because she is a very precise person. She's police mm-hmm. training. Harley is just all over the place. Huntress is sniping. Canary in the comics has background for fighting, but like you said, we don't get that at all in the movie series. One of my favorite series is Token Rambu, and they all are swords. How do you make them different? Well, their sword fighting styles are very different. Each actor takes a very different style and approach to it. And you can see that on stage. Like, it's not that hard to change up someone's fighting style based off of, like you said before, even the cartoon, their emotional state or who they are as a person.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can even compare it to Justice League, where there was that one episode, Jon Stewart was training the team to work together, and you can clearly see everybody has their own fighting style. Like, Shair and Diana both have warrior training, one from Themyscira, one from Thanagar. Superman doesn't really rely on the fighting style because he has the superpowers. He has his strength and invulnerability, So his punches are a little bit more looser compared to Batman's because of that.
2: Definitely. You had to go there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good comparison. But also, I like the new version of Gal Gadot. Like, she's athletic. She's precise. You can see she's thinking about everything. She doesn't run in, like, all crazy like the one from the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Who's like, what? You're just like, how is that different than Hawkgirl? I mean, Hawkgirl's swinging a mace, and she's screaming a little bit louder. But... (laughs) Even when they're at rest, all those women were the same. That's just how they were in that cartoon, and I hated it. Sorry. Also, Stargirl and Supergirl were the same person. Okay, I'm done. So. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Moving on. I'm sorry for that tangent. If we're gonna compare people, you know who we need to compare? (laughs) We need to compare Montoya with Commissioner Gordon, because they are both sloppy drunks (laughs) and an embarrassment (laughs) to policing. Okay, so.
0: Jim is a damn good cop. (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh my gosh Commissioner Gordon in this it's like like they took Peter B. Parker and like amped it up past the breaking point so we have these two people if we're gonna talk about their fighting styles Commissioner Gordon he can't hit the broadside of a barn first of all because that man is off his meds I don't know if it's just the alcohol, I think it's a lot of other stuff. It's sleep deprivation. That's what they mainly show it as. This man is so stressed and he is so sleep deprived, he's practically borderline insane. So he's not able to hit anything when he shoots at it. He's not able to read people. He's not getting anything right. But you see him in a fight and the people around him use him to their advantage.
0: And going back to what you said in the beginning about how Harley Quinn television show is a lot like archer i can absolutely see jim gordon as cyril when he's running out into the middle of a battlefield just suppressing fire like he did against two faces men when they invaded the precinct oh
2: my gosh yeah (laughs) but he has his moments and like yeah they could have used that to comedy but there's a weird thing and i don't want to get into it too hard because then i start like i'm on a soapbox and i'm like life isn't fair for women but it's not. Here's the thing. Women are not allowed to be funny a lot of times because it's like you're making fun of them, you know? You can have Jerry Lewis stepping on a rake 18 times. But if a woman does it, people are like, are you trying to say women are stupid? You know, like there's a little bit of that. Like I can imagine someone portraying Montoya in the same way they portrayed Commissioner Gordon. And I kind of cringe inside because I'm like, oh, "Yeah, you can't show her like that. But you can do whatever you want to him. What was happening with Montoya in the movie is it wasn't played for laughs. Her alcoholism was almost heroic. It was portrayed as like, she went against the system and by golly the system won. And there she is, drowning her sorrows at 8am and (laughs) we're supposed to feel bad for her and we're supposed to see that she's a damn good cop and she's trying so hard, what a hero. Like, it's not played for laughs in the way, like, they felt very free to do it with Commissioner Gordon. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Especially with the Clayface Hand episode, where the whole thing was just a comedic joke of just kind of making fun of Gordon's insecurities, but at the same time, you kind of felt for the guy. You're like, because he did open up, he did get sad, and mostly it was because of Batman, and
0: i feel like every episode that jim was in his life got a little more sad
2: it's so dark but they definitely like don't shy away from any of it he just openly tells everyone he's impotent his wife doesn't love him he's stressed about his home and his city through it all he's still a cop he still cares about others (laughs) but they're like what else can we like ding him on what if he's super clingy to batman you know like those sorts of things the villains can bounce off of that they can comment on it and it's funny or they can exploit it or they can be horrified by it before reacting in like a way like oh we can take advantage of this they're kind of like oh dear (laughs) you know that kind of stuff it adds to the comedy it also adds to the depth of the story And if you wanted to play Montoya for laughs, if this was a true comedy, I think you could get a little bit darker with her. You could delve a bit deeper than just, you know what, she didn't get the promotion she wanted in life, and that sucks. Also, everyone out there in the world is out to get her, and that sucks. And her character's pretty much done. That's all you got from her, and there's no way Mm -mm. to go from that. Definitely.
1: Another thing that, if you think about it, you're like okay yeah it's gotham gotham's one of the worst cities in all of dc comics it's got the highest freaking crime rate
0: but they're working on it
1: (laughs) see you see even in a lot of comics or other adaptations of jim gordon he's hit bottom a couple of times he's Mm -hmm. really hit bottom especially but if you think about it how normal the fact that the legion of doom headquarters blatant and obvious is just in gotham there's the legion of doom like it's an everyday occurrence they're on the news they're well known they have social things it's like they're just dancing in front of the cops saying you can't do anything about us right here and i think that's the reason why gordon definitely has a stronger harsher portrayal because he can't have normal jim gordon no when the legion of doom is like on your doorstep
2: <laughs> you just They've can't. created an alternate world where the villains are so popular they get interviewed on talk shows and are celebrated by just random people like it they're is the local celebrities and so everybody wants to hear what's going on with their lives
0: That just goes to show you, too, how well thought out these writers went with the show. Because when they do take over Gotham, it's very similar to Arkham City, I feel, where they did go hard in designing, like, okay, this criminal is going to own this portion of Gotham. What would that look like?
2: They made it real crazy. Yeah. But they thought out their world. They didn't just go, the, the villains are in charge. Well, if the villains are this much in charge, how does this change... If we tweak this, what else gets hit by that domino effect? We gotta weaken the police department. We gotta create a more grim Batman. With his puny son, who's useless. <laughs> Let's make it Damien. It can't be Quippy Dick because no. it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with the Harley Quinn as the protagonist, and you can't have Tim because he's kind of no offense stick in the mud.
0: Well, Tim is always so much like Batman compared to the other Robins, so it wouldn't be as fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's too much like Batman. He wouldn't be a good foil, and we can't have we absolutely cannot have Jason or Stephanie. So it has to be little. Father, save me! Damien. It's not even like angry Damien. It's like the little kid who thinks he is tough kid Damien, but he's really a punk. Because this is all kind of in Harley Quinn's eyes. We see this whole world. It's almost a version that um, Harley Quinn would have dreamed up.
0: And going back to what we said before about them paying attention to the current continuity in comics, Damien has been the current Robin for several years now, before even New 52. So by this point, most people do recognize him as Robin. But at the same time, they're putting him in this light that we never see the angry little assassin as, which is this high-pitched, squeaky boy who, just because he was trained by assassins, thinks that he is ready to be Batman. So it's still the same type of attitude as Damien, but once again, they do add some comedic effects, especially with his voice.
2: Mm-hmm. They take any comedic angle. And so, we see that in the heroes, we see that in the villains and the side characters. Even when it gets dark, they try to make the dark parts comedic, like with the Queen of Fables. Which yes. is such a throwback, like who pulls her out of a hat? That was the most random choice, but they were like, this is our big baddie. And It just gets worse and worse, but they still try to fit a joke in every few beats.
1: Well, because they're not really making light of the deaths. They're making more like, whoa, she's crazy. She just murdered an entire family. And she's definitely a foil for Harley. Pure evil. Like any real depth to her character. Harley gave her a couple of moments to redeem herself and she never did. She didn't care. While Harley over here with the rest of her crew are kind of the sympathetic villains that we've started to see more often in media portrayed, especially with Loki and stuff. While Queen of Fables over here is like your traditional Disney villain, like turned up to a (laughs) hundred.
0: And then in terms of the Birds of Prey movie, you have Black Mask, which is nowhere near evil compared to the original character in the comic books. Yeah,
1: and isn't threatening whatsoever, and seems just like a petulant child.
2: He really could have- Why? He could have been threatening. Like, I think if they had just given more attention to his past, if they had allowed him to be a little bit more consistent, he can be gleeful about deaths. But he kept switching on and off from what he enjoyed, what he didn't enjoy, how he reacted from one minute to the other. If they had been able to nail down his character and been like, what kind of foil works best against Harley in this moment in time? I hate to say it because I know everyone's like, well, she did such a good Harley. And the thing is, Margot Robbie did a great job portraying her Her personality, her jaunty walk, but if you had a more established understanding of what the character needed to become, what she was going through, I think the rest of the story would have kind of fallen into place. So what we're doing with Harley Quinn here is we have her chase MacGuffin, and in the process, what is she learning? She's learning not to trust men. She learns that a couple times. She's not really trusting women, she gets them to trust her, and then abandons them, so that's not it. It's not about creating friends. You could say it's about learning how to not kill kids, but like I said, we have no guarantee she's not going to kill that kid later, because there was no moment where she, like, realized I shouldn't kill kids. It was kind of like, oh, you caught me, I wasn't going to kill the kid, but I was going to give it to someone who would kill the kid for me. Mm So. It's just kind of like there wasn't a place where she started and a place where she needed to end. It was kind of like she wanted an egg sandwich and she got an egg sandwich. Everyone, resolution.
1: Cartoon Harley, I would say, probably has one of the best representations of Harley finally saying no to the Joker over this entire series because she said no in the first episode, but we even see in her subconscious later on, she's still hung up over the Joker. Mm -hmm. And we see later when she joins the Legion, she kind of falls back into her old habits. And it once again takes that act of secondary realization at the end and losing her friends to figure out he is not good for me. These are my friends and I abandoned them because I became so power hungry over wanting my own brand to join the Legion of Doom. And I left my friends behind and she actually sacrifices herself at the end to save her friends. Right. So she learned she really learned throughout all of this and you see her growing and you see her journey and it really takes joker pushing her out of that helicopter and losing ivy as a friend and like actually losing her for a time to really have harley realize this is what matters that none of this else does
0: and that's really where the movie got it wrong because the Joker is such an integral part of Harley's origin, it's not something that you can just brush off in the first two minutes of the movie saying that, yeah, I broke up with the Joker and I'm on my own now. Like This is something that you need to witness for yourself in order to really get that understanding of how Harley is moving on. It's not just a regular relationship that you break up and have a moping period about and then you eventually move on. This is something that broke her down to become a villain and work alongside the Joker. You have to show this, and that's why that episode where they go inside her subconscious and she realizes that the Joker didn't push her into the acid, she willingly jumped, is such an important part of her redemption arc because it is the kick that she needed to realize that she is still hooked on the joker along with losing her friends in order for her to change
2: that's true in the movie tell. they tell us that breaking up with the joker was the most important thing that was the crux of her change that was a huge part of who she was and what she was trying to overcome that'll happen off screen they didn't allow us to see it they didn't allow us to feel it we're just told like you said it's the worst And I get it, you know, no more Jared Leto, ah, but they could have had someone else. They needed to have someone
0: else. Well, just like that one flashback where Joker is tattooing that guy's face, they just show the Joker from behind, but it wasn't Jared Leto. It was just a body double. And they did the same thing in the Shazam ending credits with Superman. They just showed Superman walking into the cafeteria from the neck down. You never got to see... The person's face because it's a body double and you can do that in so many different ways you can have the camera angled from behind the body so you don't even have to worry about seeing the face Mm
2: -hmm. you could even have it blurry she does a monologue in the beginning with cartoon characters you remember that yeah that was crazy what was that it was weird but she did it and it didn't help because it was still voiceover It was still a montage. I don't know if that would have worked. You couldn't recreate a whole scene in animation and then be like, haha, now it's live action, bitches. I think they really needed to show that part. If they were going to make him the reason for her current predicament, if they were going to rely that heavily on the Joker, they needed to show it. And also in what you were saying about how the character arcs, the allowing her to fall to the depths, she has to hit rock bottom, right? because the Joker at the core is an addiction for her. And so she needs to approach it like an addiction. She's going to keep going back when she puts herself in his path. And it all kind of is hinged on what we see throughout the entire series as we grow with her. She's basically showing us over and over that she has this need for approval in everyone around her. If she can't get it from the Joker, she's gonna find it somewhere else. She fixates on the Legion of Doom for like the majority of the first season and she needs their approval. And like Ivy doesn't understand because she doesn't need anybody's approval except for Catwoman's in the second series. It was weird. So that was a left turn. But Harley just is constantly seeking validation. So when she can't get validation with the Legion of Doom, I mean, to get validation through the Legion of Doom, she has to go back to the Joker and get his validation. And then when that blows up in her face and she loses everything, she has to confront that. She has to grow. Mm -hmm. You see why she needs to because you're with her every step of the way as she realizes slowly, repeatedly, that her behavior is dangerous. And when she hits rock bottom, they let her wallow in it. They don't just immediately fix it. In the movie her rock bottom i think is when she gets sold out by the gentleman downstairs and basically gets attacked in her home and her response hitting rock bottom is as you guys know my pet peeve she wants to kill a kid she's gonna give the kid to the guy because she gives up that's her rock bottom move match evil with more evil on someone like a third party that's how she does that so you're like okay well this isn't sympathetic i don't really care about her now i don't feel for her anymore and her sadness was like a second it was about losing her house since when did she care that much about her base you know so it was really all over the place at least in the cartoon we get that consistency that it is about something internal that it is fixated on the joker and he is her MacGuffin, basically so we get to see
0: that Compared to the show, which, again, everything is happening in front of the audience and you're witnessing her hitting these lows. You're witnessing her finding out about her friends getting captured and injured, which also sparks for her to change and to go rescue them and to be a little more selfless and selfish.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see her running through Gotham on her own. You see them capturing her friends and seeing them torturing them on live television and all of this stuff. And it hurts. The one most powerful and one she really relied on the most during all of this was Ivy. And she's like plant stasis thing. But <laughs> still, really that final scene where Joker is going to throw her into chemicals that are going to negate her being Harley Quinn and just get rid of her entirely. It kind of flashes back to the moment in her head. So this full circle thing, Harley finally was able to tell Joker no.
2: And thematically it was on brand because she is reclaiming herself before she was labeling herself as a victim even in her head she was the Joker's mm-hmm. victim and then she realizes I was in control of my actions even when I don't want to admit it and I'm in control of my actions now and this reliance on a third party for her whole personality it's kind of nice to see her reclaiming that even though it is so comedy heavy and it's trying not to take itself seriously at any moment it has those little moments where it's like we understand that these characters need to have that they need to have a little bit of depth they need to have growth and they need to have an underlying flaw that gets brought up again and again for them to learn from or it just doesn't work it's shallow it's flat and people get tired of that but when you actually have growth when you have the characters have that like shadow side they have to confront that's when you get like the good storytelling Mm -hmm. sorry i'm really passionate about that and probably too wordy
1: (laughs) (laughs) another good message on that line of harley's emancipation was the differences in the messages of feminism between both the series as well so i think it was a little heavier in the beginning for the cartoon Definitely surrounding a lot to do with the Queen of Fables. I don't think it was as obvious or as shoved in your face like the movie was. The movie was just like, FEMINISM! We're gonna sing about it very obviously. And this is a whole movie of just female characters that are all the main protagonists. Well, this one, the only major female characters were Harley and Ivy. The rest of their crew were guys. You had King Shark, you had Clayface, you had Dr. Psycho, and you even had uh, The Plant, you had Sal. Most of them were men.
0: The guys had no problem listening to Harley and Ivy whenever they would give commands in a fight. They understood that they worked better as a team compared to the movie where, for example, the Renee Montoya incident right in the beginning when we're introduced to her and she tells the one male officer to take pictures of the crime scene. And he doesn't want to listen to her, but he listened to the male superior officer tell him the same thing, like even Psycho, for instance, he was a very misogynistic person but he still has no problems listening to ivy and harley
1: mm-hmm. and he was already a misogynist as we saw that was his whole downfall was his misogyny toward wonder woman and the worst cuss word in the book being used oh, on oh live television gosh. yikes oh, oh who murdered um people and his horrified his, his, <laughs> the treatment of his wife and the impact it had on his son just like he's best dude but like you said he followed harley because she was a bit of his
2: redemption but he's still a jerk but he was willing to go into her brain well like nobody like lets him get away with anything either he's like on constant watch like ivy's like you need a babysitter at all times just because he said the c word on tv <laughs> but i agree with you like it does say something about harley that she is a leader not just of women but of men And they do treat each of the characters like well-rounded people, which if you are promoting feminism, if you are trying to take that route of like women power, you kind of do have more of a leg to stand on if you can write men well. Because then we can believe that you are basing this on reality. How the men are written portrays how well the world is developed. So if you are writing all the men as like cartoonish bad guys, your version of feminism comes off as very fantasy, very pandering, very lowbrow. I mean, I'm sorry I don't speak for every woman. Some women love that, but I know a lot of women who don't. When you dumb down the men to make the women look strong, you make the women look weak. And if you want to have strong women, you need to have them surrounded by other strong people. Including men, and it helps to see them acting out. Like, there's this thing about Ivy and Harley they are not flawless goddesses, they are not constant victims. Those are the two extremes that I constantly see in movies that call themselves feminist. They're like either women are always victims, and then they have to like snap. And go crazy, and then you're like, yeah, girl mm-hmm. power, I guess. Or they have to be so amazing at everything that no man can stand in their way.
0: Brie Larson and Captain Marvel.
2: Oh gosh, I hate that so much. So the point is that if you have a world where people are a little bit more nuanced, then you can create sort of an honest way of approaching it. It's more forthcoming, mm-hmm. it's more engaging and it kind of sneaks up on you it doesn't hit you over the head with it so the queen of fables arc i gotta say it was a little heavy-handed i did like ivy's warnings of "look, this person is not messing around and she's just like nah she's just one of the girls we gotta stick up for each other and that woman totally had harley wrapped around her finger by claiming Mm -hmm. the sisterhood i mean harley eventually realizes yeah she's out of her mind and being a woman doesn't stop you from being out of your mind but she does go a little bit easier on her in my opinion because of that because she sees her as inherently good for being a woman I don't know if that Mm. ever gets fully resolved but I would say in the rest of the series it's a little bit more subtle and it's still there Mm I
1: would definitely say, like you said, it was the most heavy handed message and one of them that you also see with the Legion of Doom, Harley really wants in and one of the reasons they're not really going to let her in is not because, oh, she's Harley Quinn, she's like hype man, she's kind of low tier when it comes to being a villain, it's because she's a woman, it's a dudes club, and they can't even remember the one or two women on the Legion of Doom's names at all.
0: I mean, Lex did want Poison Ivy to join the Legion of Doom instead of Harley.
2: Exactly, because she was so yeah.
1: powerful. But it also them showing the gap between how people perceive and treat women and how people perceive and treat men sometimes is very different and skewed depending on the situation. But definitely was the most heavy handed and wasn't just kind of like this underlying message like the rest of the series kind of was because of it surrounding Harley leaving a very abusive relationship and she was addicted to it which was a very good message of feminism of hey you can't get away from that you do not have to be stuck in that you can find happiness in yourself Mm -hmm. which she eventually found she was relying on herself didn't have to rely on a man she didn't have to rely on the legion she didn't even have to rely on her crew she was there for her crew and she got them out
2: and i want to say also like the way they portray it with the guys too they give themselves an out here because they are saying like okay Legion of Doom Ivy tells us right at the beginning and we trust Ivy because her judgment is ours as the audience she says right off the bat why do you want to be accepted with those guys they're all assholes the way they're portrayed is they are her ex's friends she wants to go hang out with her ex's buddies they're all villains they're all jerks they don't treat women well They portray it in that they have that out because they have a crew of villains, right? The whole Legion of Doom, they do shady stuff, even to Ivy, you know? When they get her, they Mm -hmm. treat her actually worse than Cheetah or Livewire, and I won't get into that, but they are awful and it does set them up like their game now, because they showed themselves to be so evil and self-centered and they're not the cutesy, relatable villains they were set up to be in the beginning. They're all really bad people, and they all betrayed our main characters, so now we get to hunt them for sport. It's different than, say, the boys. With the boys, there's also a lot of, like, misogyny in a group that this girl is trying to be a part of, but in that way, it's portrayed as these are the heroes, this is how it always was, this is how it always will be, why even try women? Am I right? They all want to rape you. But those are the heroes, and it's much more in your face. You have to confront it. You have to say, okay, this is evil. How do we stop evil? But it's not really laid like that throughout The Boys. It's kind of like a little, by the way, they're also rapey. Like, it's a little party favor to throw on top of other evils. In The Legion of Doom, their sexism is expected and understandable because she's trying to hang out with the people who hang out with her ex. And anyone who hangs out with her ex is not someone you should want to hang out with they're really bad people the fact that everyone around her sees that except for her is once again like feeding into our story all the feminism we see in the entire series is there for a purpose it's not there as an isolated huh how you like our feminism gonna put it on the mantle It's playing a purpose. The feminism of, you know, all we women are in this together, but haha, not really. You need to watch out for yourself and not trust people just because of their gender.
0: Even if they give you a hair tie in the middle of a fight?
2: (laughs) Even if they give you a hair tie, it does not mean you should sacrifice yourself for them or trust them. And I think that was a great message too, because we see that in a lot of movies where people are like, well, why wouldn't you trust women? All women love other women. Like all women know they must on some level have met some other woman who was a bad person. Like, there's no way you've walked through life and not exposed yourself to a mean girl.
0: Perfect example. I've seen mean girls. I know for a fact not all women are super nice.
2: i mean so like there's that and then there's the other thing of like yeah just don't hang out with your ex's friends i mean you can also take it the other way too of like this is the corporate world this is america (laughs) and like you know it's hard to be a woman and it's definitely hard to go into a job market. And I 100% like non-hyperbolically believe that if you are a woman trying to enter a company that is all men, you're going to have a really hard time because they have a culture and they probably don't want to change for you. So I get that and I see that and I recognize it and it hits home. It doesn't feel artificial like they're trying to get brownie points because they didn't just introduce it to be like, the job market's bad, right ladies? They also were like... This has another purpose, and that is to show Harley she not only doesn't need validation from these people, but she shouldn't be seeking it from these people. And I think that was a really good multi-tiered message for a comedy cartoon that prides itself on being crude and childish. What on earth? It's not even a super high bar at this point because we see it constantly. I mean, Bob's Burgers, BoJack Horseman, all of these limited animation adult series are getting with the program of like developing these characters and giving you these hard-hitting moments between all the comedy. And then we have Birds of Prey, and it's like, you know, people don't like it because they weren't ready for a woman director.
1: And there's been plenty of female directors directing movies about women characters, and they've been perfectly fine. But all right, that was a perfect way to wrap up. Want to hear if you would recommend the series and kind of like rating of the harley quinn cartoon
0: oh yeah despite the couple little things that we didn't like about the show i would definitely recommend it it is still like i said one of my favorite things that dc universe has brought onto its streaming platform and again it does not fail to make me laugh every single episode i look forward to watching it with v and muse it does have that kind of south park family guy humor but at the same time it is so hilarious. The parodies are amazing. The references are great. I would give it like a solid three and a half out of five, like a B, B plus.
2: B? I was going to use a 10 star rating and now I'm, I'm like have to reevaluate. <laughs> <laughs> you can 10 star rating it. I mean, I'd go with like a solid B or B minus, but that's just because I have to be less positive than Joe at all times to maintain the equilibrium of the earth. I feel the same way. It has things that I don't like in it. I didn't like the portrayal of Catwoman. I think she's super relatable. And they were like, she's so aloof and standoffish and not relatable like Ivy. And I'm like, what What the heck?
0: Ivy's- Oh my God. In that episode, they made Ivy like Huntress and Birds of Prey. Oh my
2: gosh, <gasps> they did. They screwed the pooch there. I'm sorry, I didn't even want to talk about it. I was like, not gonna bring it up. I would say, yeah, I agree with Joe. It has its problems, honestly. It's full of stuff that pull me out of it, and that's just mainly the Gordon language. The language does get easier. Like, the first two, three episodes, they can't say a sentence without using the F word, which is fine in moderation. I enjoy it. I definitely want to see more. I thought they goofed on Catwoman. They sort of took her personality out a little bit and made her a little bit unrelatable, which, you know, it's my favorite character. It's fine, whatever. It's cool.
0: I thought Superman was great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> God, be gone.
0: Lex was amazing too.
2: Lex Luthor was great. He really was. He was very enjoyable.
0: <laughs> Bane, Robin, Commissioner Gordon. Honestly, Bane and Commissioner Gordon are probably tied for my favorite character, followed by Robin and Clayface.
2: He was. He was. <laughs> Muse, what was your favorite character?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, I was honestly, Riddler a lot. I really do not know if I have a favorite character in this. I would probably say Ivy. I liked Barbara too. So my rating, I would definitely say like uh, a B plus B range that area if we're on like the ten point grading scale of things. Just uh, <laughs> a little leeway. I'm kind of happy I watched like episode three first with you guys because I got like a good feel for the series and then I went back and watched the first episode some of the violence definitely was a little over the top the one thing I will say when it comes to one of the factors that typically will be in a cruder series like this besides like we're gonna make sex comments or we're gonna stuff like that that didn't really bother me one of my biggest pet peeves is potty jokes and thankfully there was a distinct lack, or just there was a couple, but there wasn't as much. Like, I can't stand lowbrow potty humor, and thank God there was barely any. Definitely would recommend this series if you just want an adult humor Show, like I agree with Joe, probably the best new original series on DC Universe. So that's all we have to say today. I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Court of Outlets. So make sure to stay up to date with our latest episode by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.
0: Take care, guys, and let us know of any comic or movie or show that you would want us to review. Once again, stay safe, and we'll see you next week.